to you, you. Good evening, good evening to you. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Daring Dialogues. I'm your host tonight, Shantae Charles. I hope that you have been having a great and wonderful day. Today is Wednesday, Relationship Wednesday, and we are back reading What Happened to You, Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. I think this is a good topic to lead into as we go into the furtherance of the holy days. And, um, you know, people are getting back into spaces regardless of whether the whether they are, you know, taking precautions or not, or listening to the health professionals and the advice that they're giving, a lot of people are still bent on family reunion time. So because of that, um, you could be encountering some good family times, right? Some good family reunions um, times or For some people, you could be going back into a space that triggers you or that causes causes um, you to think about things that maybe happened in your past or in your childhood that you don't necessarily want to think about. So you got to be ready for that, right? We are in chapter two, which is seeking balance, seeking balance. Oprah is going to do some speaking first, and then she's going to have a conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry. So we'll be reading back and forth in in terms of this conversation. So she begins, how much do you think about your heart? Since before you were even born, that miraculous machine has been steadily pumping the energy of life throughout your body. Day in, day out, at least 115,000 beats each day with the sole purpose of keeping you alive. But beyond the complex physical task of delivering essential nutrients to every cell, tissue, and organ, your heart's pulse also regulates your emotional energy. A strong, even pace can bring a sense of calm. A rapid staccato can panic even the healthiest person. There was a time in my late 40s when I noticed a change, a rapid fluttering in my own heart. I immediately started thinking worst case scenario. One night I awoke with my heart beating so intensely, I thought for the first time in my life that I was about to die. It took six months before I understood what was happening. A book I found lying on a table outside the studio where we taped the Oprah Winfrey show noted that heart palpitations can be part of menopause. A doctor confirmed that this was true and that my body was indeed undergoing menopausal changes. And I can't tell you how relieved I felt. Relieved and awed. Because for me, those direct messages from my heart were one of the most powerful connections I'd ever made with my unique biosystem. They were proof of what I already believed, that my body is always speaking to me. The same is true for you. From birth, your heart is constantly sending messages about the state of your well-being. It's intimately attuned to the slightest shifts in your physical and emotional health. 
And when it sends out a warning, every part of you feels the effect. Now, if you are a Bible reader, you probably uh, recognize that what she is saying actually is spoken of in the scriptures, right? It talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It talks about man's heart um, is desperately wicked and who can know it, who can trust it, who can rely on it. So what she's saying does have some context. The same is true for you from birth. Again, your heart is constantly sending out messages about the state of your well-being. It is intimately attuned to the slightest shifts in your physical and emotional health. And when it sends out a warning, every part of you feels the effect. Ever since those episodes with my heart, I've felt deep gratitude for this ever vigilant internal alarm. In times of stress, it changes in cadence. And these cadences have been a, a gift. But as I have learned from Dr. Perry, remaining in a constant state of high alert can have devastating effects on your overall physical and emotional health. The correlation between long-term stress and conditions like anxiety, depression, stroke, heart disease, and diabetes is real. I was in my 20s when I was first challenged in a big way to regulate my own stress. I'd taken a job as a reporter and was working 100-hour weeks. I wanted to be a team player, but I could feel myself becoming increasingly out of sync. As I explained earlier, traumatic events in my childhood, including an uprooted family, sexual abuse, and regular beatings, had conditioned me to be a skilled people pleaser, even if it meant completely depleting my own energy. And so when I felt the stress indicators that my body was sending, I ignored them, choosing instead to soothe myself with the drug that was most easily accessible to me, food. The more out of rhythm my life became, the more I sought relief to silence the signals. I was tuned in enough to know that I was betraying myself. I knew I only had a certain amount of energy and I knew that it needed to be conserved and restored. But it would take decades for me to understand how to live within my own rhythms. Now, when I begin to feel overwhelmed, I pull back. I've learned to say no. When I'm around someone who drains me, I put up a barrier, a non-physical wall that keeps that person's negative energy away. I've also created a sacred personal space, blocking out Sundays as a time of renewal, allowing myself to be with myself, allowing myself simply to be. When this time is interrupted or threatened by someone who invades my state of calm, I become irritable, anxiety prone, and distressed about making decisions, not the person I want to be in the world. The quickest and most consistent way for me to get back to my own rhythm is to walk in nature. Just focusing on my breath, my steady heartbeat, the stillness of a tree, or the intricacy of a leaf can center me in the wholeness of all things. Music, laughter, dancing, knitting, cooking, finding what naturally soothes you not only regulates your heart and mind, it helps you stay open to the goodness in you and in the world. I'm going to have to agree. I now find cooking to be not only something that I do that nourishes me, but it's also something that is meditative for me. It's therapeutic for me. Um, it allows me to focus 
and think very deeply and very intently. So now that I know that that is something um, that I get from cooking, I am more intentional <laughs> about what I'm cooking and I'm more intentional about how much time I'm, I'm putting the, the fork to the, to the lips, right? So even on today, I used part of my um, quiet time to make homemade chicken noodle soup. And it's very tasty. I wish I could just, you know, one of these days we'll have the technology where we can just scoop some up and just put it to you through the screen. But until then, I, it was very good. So I can I can actually um, agree with her on this on this uh, point. So Oprah says, I remember walking on the Owlag campus with you, watching the girls dance, sing and laugh together as they move from one class to the next. You had been working with the students there for over 10 years. And as we looked on, you said something like that will help them learn. We ended up talking about why rhythm is important. Dr. Perry says rhythm is essential to a healthy body and a healthy mind. Every person in the world can probably think of something rhythmic that makes them feel better. So whether that rhythm is found in walking or swimming, music, dance, the sound waves breaking on a beach, um, you are giving in to every single day. You're giving into some sort of rhythm, whether you recognize it or not. It's why we rock babies when they cry. We're trying to help them find their own rhythm to help them calm down. Exactly. And that will help us calm down as well. The emotions of people around us are contagious. In case you didn't know. <laughs> the emotions of people around us are contagious. When our baby is upset, it can make us upset. So we go to the baby and hold her or walk him. We start with a rhythm that is soothing to us. And if that doesn't work, we slowly shift to a pattern that is regulating for the child. The baby's response to our efforts shapes the style of the rhythmic soothing that we choose. As we grow up, we find our own set of regulating rhythms and activities. For some of us, it is walking. For others, it's doing needlework or riding a bike. Everyone has their go-to options when they feel out of sync, anxious, or frustrated. For some people... Is working out, right? It's getting in there, pressing those weights, doing the steps, lifting, squatting. That is a form of rhythm. The common element is rhythm because rhythm is regulating. People use the word wellness to mean overall health or balance among mind, body, and spirit. But you talk about regulation. Help me understand what you mean by that. Dr. Perry says... Regulation is also about being in balance. We have many different systems that are continually monitoring our body and the outside world to make sure we're safe and in balance. That we have enough food, water, oxygen. When we're regulated, these systems have what they need. Stress is what occurs when a demand or challenge takes us out of balance, away from our regulated set points. When we get out of balance, we become dysregulated and feel discomfort or distress. When we get back into balance, we feel better. Relief of distress, getting back into balance, activates the reward networks in the brain. We feel pleasure when we get back into balance from cold to warm, thirsty to quenched, 
hungry to satisfy. And regulation is more than a biological concept. In all areas of our lives, we are seeking what we need to be stabilized, balanced, and regulated. Yes, balance is the core of the he- of health. We feel and function best when our body systems are in balance and when we're in balance with friends, family, community, and nature. And that's really important for parents to realize what you just said, that learning healthy self-regulation actually begins in infancy. When babies cry, they're either hungry or thirsty or tired, or their diaper needs changing and they need to be touched. And since they can't feed themselves or change their own diaper, crying is their way to get themselves back into balance, to get their caregiver to do what has to be done in order for them to get back into balance. The problem is when their caregiver doesn't respond or doesn't understand that crying is a part of a child alerting you that something is out of balance with me. And rather than respond to that, they abuse the child. Rather than being put back into balance or regulated, the child or the baby will get more upset. Yes, Dr. Perry responded. If I get hungry, I get up and make myself a sandwich. I self-regulate. But as you said, the infant has to rely on adults to help them with this. Caregiving adults provide external regulation. Over time, these responsive adults help the child's brain begin to build self-regulating capabilities. And as we've mentioned, one of the most powerful tools we use to help self-regulate a distressed infant is rhythm. Why is that? All life is rhythmic. The rhythms of the natural world are embedded in our biological systems. This begins in the womb when the mother's beating heart creates rhythmic sound, pressure, and vibrations that are sensed by the developing fetus and provide constant rhythmic input to the organizing brain. These experiences create powerful associations, essentially memories that connect rhythms of roughly 60 to 80 beats per minute to regulation. 60 to 80 beats per minute is the average resting heart rate for an adult. It is the rhythm the fetus sensed and it equates to being in balance, to being warm, full, quenched, and safe. After birth, rhythms at these frequencies can comfort and soothe, whereas the loss of rhythm or high, variable, unpredictable patterns of input becomes associated with a threat. When we rock the distressed baby, the rhythmic movement activates the memory of safety. The infant feels more in balance and calms down. Hmm. Which is probably why you shouldn't leave your child crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and crying in a crib. (laughs) Furthermore, by rocking the baby while also feeding, warming, and loving them, the caring adults strengthen the primary associations between rhythm and regulation. These loving interactions begin to expand the memory of regulation by mixing in human contact. The caregiver's smell, touch, smile, and voice also become connected with regulation, with safety. The roots of health are rhythm and regulation. When you mix in attentive, responsive, and nurturing caregiving, 
the roots and trunk of our brain's tree of regulation are being organized. Now, I cannot speak to anyone else's early childhood memories. I can only speak to my own. And what I remember, my earliest childhood memory is not being with my mother. My earliest childhood memory was of me being in the care of my stepfather and me crying. I actually remember it. Me crying and being hungry and not having food. And rather than him giving me food to satisfy myself, he took my finger and stuck it in my mouth to satisfy or satiate the need for food. And I bring that up because I spent from two years old all the way up until about 27 occasionally sucking my finger. And that was a habit that throughout my childhood, into middle school, into high school, whenever I like felt distressed or whenever I wanted to calm down or soothe myself or even fall off to sleep, I would suck my index finger. And I actually had to pray and ask God to break that habit, that pattern, till I was 27. That is the power of doing something in a child's early development stages that can stay with them for their lifetime. Think about that, 2 to 27. That's 25 years of a habit that I was finally able to break. Thank God. (laughs) But I still remember it. I still remember when it started. I remember why it started. I remember my emotions um, during it. And for years after that, my mom would have arguments (laughs) about that one thing that had been started when I was a little child that she continually over the years would try to get me to, to break that pattern of. But hey, you left me with someone who didn't know how to regulate a child. And in the process, they established a really, really bad habit. So just had to put that out there. That's my personal story. Oprah responds, So when you are raised in a nurturing, supportive, caring environment and you cry and someone responds to your needs, you are being regulated. Ultimately, as you grow up with this loving attention, what you describe as the tree of regulation grows and these networks in your brain allow you to regulate yourself and connect to people in healthy relationships. Exactly. And this is so important that it's worth a closer look. First, as we've been discussing, we have important neural networks involved in regulation, including our stress response systems. Second, we have neural networks that are involved in forming and maintaining relationships. Finally, we have neural networks that are involved in reward. When these are activated, they give us pleasure. When these systems begin to wire together, 
They create our foundational memories. These are the reason that we feel regulated and rewarded when we get signals of acceptance or warmth from another person. A person's capacity to connect, to be regulating and regulated, to reward and be rewarded is the glue that keeps families and communities together. Regulation, relationship, and reward. All of them produce harmony. When the attentive and responsive adult comes to the crying infant, two very important things happen. The baby feels the pleasure of being regulated after being distressed and also experiences the sight, smell, touch, sound, and movement of human interaction. The loving sensations provided by the adult caregiver start to become associated with pleasure. In thousands of moments, when the caregivers respond to the needs of the infant, the brain is connecting relationship to reward and regulation. And so, when you are an attentive, attuned, and responsive caregiver to these little ones, you're literally weaving together the powerful three-part association. You're building a healthy root system for the tree of regulation for that child's life. Furthermore, as we talked about earlier, these bonding experiences create the infant's worldview about humans. A consistent, nurturing caregiver builds an internal view that people, not just the caregiver themselves, but that people are safe, predictable, and caring. The humans coming to regulate me are not bad. Think about how many children right now in our society that cannot receive any form of regulation and correction. And think about why that is. Why are they innately rebelling against regulation and reward? Because something has happened in their earlier development that they didn't get this innate learning that humans coming to regulate me are not bad. That when I need something, it will work out. That people are safe and supportive. If they didn't get it in their early development, they are now being wired that humans are humans coming to regulate me are bad. When I need something, it may or may not work out because my parent may or may not have responded. And people are not safe and supportive. Those are the messages that we, that we send when we neglect in the process, in the early formation of children. So I'm going to stop there because I know that was a lot to take in. But if you're a parent, if you know a parent, especially of young children, please pass this broadcast on to them so that we can head off some of these things before their child gets two, three, five, seven, 10, 13, 16, 18. All right. Let's work on the initial processes here. It does matter. All right. If you would like to come on and respond to tonight and the process of harmony in early development, 
and trauma prevention, the process of regulation and reward in relationship to others. If you would like to respond, you can hit the camera and I will bring you on and we will chat it up. So I'll give us a few seconds here. If no one comes on, I am going to be ending tonight. As you think about your holiday plans and preparations, and as you are encountering young people and little ones, keep these things in mind. Good evening. Good. Good evening. How are you? Yeah, I think my voice is kind of going in and out. Uh-oh. It's, uh, it's like I was battling a cold for the past 24 hours. I mean, it's, it's done. It's just that I, my throat is um, kind of having problems with it. But anyway. Glad you're feeling um, better. Yeah. Anyway, I want to speak on two things. Uh, rhythm. It's a, it's a scientific fact mm -hmm. that music increases uh, uh, your production. Mm -hmm. But now that depends on the type of music also. Yep. But it, it will increase your, your output. It will increase your, your, your um, you know, your, your gift or whatever. It, it increases your output. Um, and speaking on, on when you were talking about being left with your stepdad, and that doesn't just apply to children because I remember one of my experiences, grown man, uh, some things needed to be done around my dad's house and I was going to do it, but he had a problem. He had a problem with that, mm -hmm. but it was because of them. It was because of my sibling, right? And he made it clear to me. So at that point I backed off mm -hmm. no matter what they told me, what this needed to be, I, I would let them know, listen, you go and talk to him, tell him it needs to be done. And you want me to do it? I say, then I'll do it. I say, but other than that, I'm not touching a thing. He's made it clear to me. Mm -hmm. They would never talk to him. They would always come after me. And I, I kept telling him, listen, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Even after my dad, dad passed, right? That stuck in my head. And mm -hmm. I would not automatically do things. Mm -hmm. Because my mind was conditioned at that point that this is his house. And I can't touch anything here, regardless of how bad it needs to be fixed. Or, you know, or, or what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Because my mind was conditioned for that. Yeah. See? So it, so it, it goes beyond childhood. Mm -hmm. See? So uh, those are two of the things I wanted to point out there. Oh, and I also, also uh, I've been telling people for decades, listen to your body. Mm -hmm. Because it speaks to you. I found out the hard way. See? Oh, if trust your body me. needs rest. I've been in the hard way camp, too. I just learned over the last, you know, I would say 20, 2015 to now was like my real serious reset for myself because I saw that the fact that I was working myself, literally, I literally worked myself into two injuries. That's how hard I was working for people who didn't appreciate it at that. I worked myself into carpal tunnel in both of my wrists to the point where I was wearing two wrist braces 
And it had gotten so bad that I could no longer drive myself to work. And I had to resign my job because I couldn't even drive to work. So that was a wake up call for me. Because when I re because when I resigned, less than 24 hours later, they found a replacement. So that let me know that no matter how talented or skilled or gifted I was, I was replaceable. And so I, I, I try to speak to people from a place of not just book knowledge, but also experience. Like I lived through this. I know what it's like to be discarded when you have given your all to something and people no longer appreciate it. And it's like, okay, you know, like that song, thank you next. That's how they treated me. Thank you next. <laughs> and so that was my first time realizing the damage that could be done when we don't listen to our own bodies. When our body is telling us it's, you need a break. You need to slow down. You know, don't, don't ignore the pain. And cause you know, especially with black people in the black church, we good for telling people to press through, right. Or to press past the pain. No, if you press past the pain one too many times, you might not come back from that press past. Listen, and people don't want to hear that. <laughs> I was with the ministry. They got a new pastor and I was with the ministry for about five years. Every time the doors opened, I was there. Nine times out of ten, I was opening the door. Had not had a vacation. So I told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to take a two-week vacation. <laughs> you know, I don't want anybody calling me. I don't want to be bothered with anybody. I'm going to take a two-week vacation. Right? Do you think they listen? I had to show them. I had to show them. I would not answer my phone. Because it's like they're, they're, going, they're going to call me for this, call me for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only person that has a key to that place. See, they had other guys with keys to the place. It's just that none of them would show up. Mm -hmm. See, so now, so now you're seeing this. You know, so hey, y'all, y'all deal with that. I'm out. You know, I'm out for two weeks. Yeah. You know, so you know, that's well, where are you going? I didn't tell them I was going anywhere. I didn't tell them I wasn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I rested at home. Yep. I didn't have to go anywhere. I rested at home. Say it again. Because for some reason, you know, even with that, you know, uh, in, in expressing your boundaries, sometimes people don't realize that I don't have to leave the state or leave the country <laughs> to need some, some isolation, some solitude time to myself. Like, mm -hmm. I need you to respect my staycation. If I'm not going anywhere, I don't need you to, right. like you said, I don't need you to call. I don't need you to text. I don't need you to drive by the house. I don't need you to come knocking on the door. Like, respect the staycation as much as you would if I were going out of the country. Just because I am, I am within reach does not mean I'm available. Right. And I think that, that sometimes that distinction, too, has to be made with people. Yes, I'm in, in, I'm in reach. But I'm not available at this time because I'm taking the time to, as uh, Oprah said, listen to my body. And when I've started to do that, I will definitely say I've had some close calls, you know, with death because I listened to my body and I went in 
and getting checked out, you know, and things being really, really dire, but being able to catch them in time before they became something that landed me in the hospital, unconscious, you know, all these other things came because I started listening to my body. I started listening to my body and paying attention when things were changing, when things didn't feel right. So I agree, you know, we do need to take the time to um, listen to our body. And I thought this was really good going into the holidays, especially with people being around children. Um, I recently had someone that reached out to me, you know, and we had a conversation by inbox about um, discipline for children. And they were like, well, I, I respectfully disagree. You know, I, I, I don't, I hit my children, but I don't hit them out of anger or disgust. I said, well, the body doesn't register that. The body only registers the impact. It doesn't register your intent. So even if you didn't intend, or even if your intention is not anger or disgust, the body is registering the hit. It doesn't care about what the intent was behind it. And giving people information for them to read, you know, I try not to force information down people's throat because I know most people are not going to believe what you're saying unless they read it themselves or research it themselves. So I gave her some, I gave her some things to take a look at, but I said, the reality is, um, you're creating dysregulation in the child. It's damaging to the brain. Um, and it's, it's, it's also creating increased sexual maturity before time. So if you are saying I'm disciplining my child because I don't want them to grow up too fast, or I feel like they're growing up too fast, that beating is actually um, triggering the hormones in their body that speeds up maturation. So you're actually doing the exact opposite of what you want <laughs> by hitting your child. So it's those things like that, you know, that lets me know that we still have a ways to go. And so um, conversations like this are necessary. And I hope that mm -hmm. I hope that people will take a moment to listen to what is being said versus jumping to an assumption or a conclusion, right? Um, and I think this is very powerful what they shared about it. the earlier you start with a child in terms of tending to their needs, the quicker you're going to reinforce things like things will work out for me in the end. <laughs> Someone is an adult coming to regulate me is not a threat. I think that's like super important because as a teacher, I can tell you, I have seen children that if you try to do any sort of regulation, bringing them in, organizing them, getting them to calm down, any of that, they see it as a threat. They see it as a threat. So that lets me know that something happened in their childhood that registered non-regulation 
or they registered regulation as a threat. And I mm -hmm. think that is, I mean, we could just go, go through the black community and see that. Trying to bring correction is, reg is now registering with our young people as a threat when it didn't used to be that way. Right. Which means they're getting there. That is happening because of parental neglect at an early age. They didn't get the experience of regulation connected with nurturing and caring. And because those two pieces didn't connect, now when someone comes to regulate them, they see it as a threat. And that's a whole other sermon for the black community. <laughs> Final words, Pastor Ben. Well, we have to we have to take care of us. We're the, we're the only us that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to take care of that. And you said something earlier that I, I've been telling people. I used, I used to be, have a partner, you know, uh, years ago. And he would want to work seven days a week. I told him I'm not going to do it. See? Mm -hmm. I told him the most hour work is six. And mm -hmm. that'll be rare. I say, because my body is going to need time mm -hmm. to recover. Yeah. I told him, I say, if you drop dead right now, they'll have somebody else in here doing the same work that you're doing. They will. With a with a with a blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. If I didn't show up, they knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. They would call me, right? They would call me. You know, this is in construction. They would call me. You okay? Da, 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 da. You know, they didn't see me out on the job because they knew if I was good, I was there. Mm -hmm. So if they if they pulled up Monday through Friday and didn't see me there one of those days, something had to be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, so so they got to know me like that. They, they knew, okay, there was a boundary. They knew that. Monday through Friday, I'll definitely be on the job. Saturday, I might. You know, they knew that. If I didn't show up on a Saturday or Sunday, they, they wasn't alarmed about it. But Monday through Friday, you know, they, 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 they would be get all nervous and stuff. So, you know, but again, that's also setting boundaries. Yeah. That's also setting boundaries. So, you know, but yeah, we, we have to take care of ourselves. Um, jobs are going to be there. Yeah. If they can replace you because you want to take a day off to recover your, your body for your body to recover, yeah, that's not the place you want to be. You need to be anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because they're thinking about the company and they know that they can replace you. And it's sad, you know, and I was um, responding to a, a comment the other night, I think last night, and they were talking about the idea of of rest. And I said, until people understand, and I'm speaking at this point, I'm speaking from a Christ perspective, until people understand that Christ said he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is the Sabbath, that means he decides when you rest. Until you understand that, rest will elude you because you will be, mm -hmm. you'll be working on somebody's religious or, or even secular system of how you are to govern your life. So I just learned mm -hmm. when Christ says, take a break, take a break. <laughs> that break may mm -hmm. be a day. It may be 
72 hours. It may be a week. But whenever he says, you know, you need to rest, you need to, to pull back. And like Oprah said, again, she said, anytime I feel like distress, I've learned now to just pull back and not find myself overwhelmed. And I don't, and I don't think enough people understand that outside of, of religious thought about what the Sabbath is, because most people think it's only a day. It's not just a day. A Sabbath rest in Christ is whenever he tells you to take rest. Right. And a lot of people don't know how to just rest in him. They will just keep going. Mm -hmm. Thinking that the more that I do, the, the gooder or the more righteous I am. And you then you find yourself trying to work your way into right standing with God. And some people have worked right. their way right on out of the earth. They've had an early departure because they refuse mm -hmm. to rest. And unfortunately, some of this is the systems that have been created that are to blame. But also part of it is recognizing when the system is not fitting what Christ has told you to do and having the wisdom. And as you said, listening to your body and knowing when I have to go with what Christ is saying and I have to let the system be over here. And anybody who has a disagreement about that, oh, well, because I have to do what is best for me in Christ. And sometimes that doesn't please everybody. And you have to be okay with that. So that's all I had to say on the subject. <laughs> this has been another episode of Nearing Dialogues. And I've been your host tonight, Shantae Charles. Don't argue with me. Argue with your grandma and your cousins over the holiday season. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We will not have Nearing Dialogues on Friday because it's uh, New Year's Eve. But we will be back tomorrow, same place, same time for Thinking Thursday, Theology Thursday. Remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be what, Pastor Ben? Light. Be light. Take care, everyone, and God bless. <laughs>